Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 553 of the podcast and it is Friday the 21st of May 2021 as I record this early. In fact, as this goes out, I am just getting back from a cycling holiday. which I'll I'll mention in a minute. In today's show, I'm talking to Natasha Lekic from New York Book Editors about how you can prepare your book before sending it to an editor, the different types of edits and editors you can use for different phases of your writing process and different times of your writing life, as well as what to expect as you go through that process. So that is coming up in the interview segment. So yes, my personal update this week is I am recording this early. We are cycling locally. (laughs) And it's funny because uh, Jonathan and I have done cycling holidays in India and Croatia. And we were like, okay, it'd be nice to go on a cycling holiday. (laughs) But let's do it in England near our house. (laughs) So by the time you hear this, we will have cycled from Oxford back to Bath. And you can see the pictures on my Instagram and my Facebook at jfpenauthor in my future. So I'm telling you I'm going to do it. But as you listen to this in your past. (laughs) So yeah, we really, really need a break. I think we all do. It feels like we all thought the pandemic would be done by now. And when 2021 ticked over, we were like, oh, it's almost finished. But as you know, it's still going on. And it feels like travel at the moment is defined as spending a night away from your house. (laughs) So we're going to make the most of it and just uh, travel locally. And look, to be honest, people come from all over the world to cycle in the Cotswolds, which is an area of outstanding natural beauty here in England. So yeah, I'm hoping I will be more energised on my return. I definitely feel like I really need a break and a break from just being in front of the desk and working way too much. Oh, well, you know how this feels. never ending. So I hope you are able to go easy on yourself as well. We all have to manage uh, the balance between writing and the productivity side with self-care and relaxing and taking a break. And I know it is tough for everyone. So yeah. In useful stuff. Go check out the Six Figure Authors podcast from last week, where Lindsay Baroka and Joe Lalo talk about book marketing for introverts. And Liz- Lindsay has a bit of a rant, which is rare for her. <laughs> Importantly, we embrace our introversion, if you are an introvert, uh, as I am, and find ways to market that work for our personality and the lifestyle we want, as opposed to forcing ourselves into things we hate. And Lindsay and Joe give lots of ideas and... Um, Yeah, they're both really laid back people and introverted people. And so their tips are super duper. So yes, sixfigureauthors.com. You can find that or just look for Six Figure Authors on your podcast app. And interestingly, podcasting itself works for all of us because right now I'm alone in my podcast booth. And although this will go out to uh, a lot of people right now, it's just me here alone. <laughs> so it works for my energy. I feel like um, audiobook narration is different. That definitely takes a lot of push energy. But I feel like this 
podcasting in the way that I do is not such high energy. And of course, I pre-record my uh, interviews and I do that at times when I have energy. So yeah, podcasting works uh, pretty well. Also, I'm very excited to announce that a fantastic group of authors are offering uh, incredible deals on a bunch of useful books for writers this week. So 99 cent, 99p type equivalent deals between the 31st of May and the 4th of June 2021. It includes fantastic books like Structuring Your Novel, Mastering Your Mysteries, Amazon Decoded, The Emotional Wound Thesaurus, Amazon Ads Unleashed, How to Write a Series, Writing Faster with Art Journaling, Platform Mastery, Romance Your Brand, and my own book, The Successful Author Mindset. So a selection of fantastic uh, authors there. If you go to thecreativepen.com forward slash blowout, B-L-O-W-O-U-T, that will take you over to David Gochran's site. And David has uh, the, all the all the information on this fantastic deal. Uh, you can go to the show notes for all the links as ever. Just uh, as you're listening to this, you can go to thecreativepen.com forward slash blog and you'll find the this episode there or you can go to the creativepen.com forward slash podcast and this will be the top one so episode 553 so yes go and get that limited time deal on all of these fantastic books 31st of may to 4th of june 2021 at the creativepen.com forward slash blowout so today's show is sponsored by my own editors page at thecreativepen.com forward slash editors, where you will find a list of editors, vetted professionals through Reedsy or New York book editors, and also editors and proofreaders recommended by listeners of the show and other authors. There's also a video tutorial where I take you through how to find and work with professional editors. And if you want to improve your writing craft, especially at the beginning of your author career, a professional editor can make all the difference. I know some people say you don't need an editor, but I think those people have internalised the uh, the way books work. And I personally have still have incredible help from editors. So I am affiliate. I am an affiliate of both Weedsy and New York Book Editors. And Natasha today is from New York Book Editors. If you go to thecreativepen.com forward slash editors and use some of my links, which are all marked, I receive a small percentage commission at no extra cost to you and it supports the show as well as getting a fantastic editor or proofreader for your book. And if you want to go straight to New York book editors, uh, as uh, I'm talking to Natasha, you can use my link, thecreativepen.com forward slash N-Y-B-E, links in the show notes. So this type of sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. My time is supported by my wonderful patrons. And thank you to all of you who support the show. And of course, my extra uh, 45 minute Q&A went out last week or the week before, whenever it was. <laughs> so if you support the show, you get that extra Q&A audio. And uh, we have a little chat behind the scenes as well. Just a couple of dollars or euros or GBP or Canadian dollars a month you can go to patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Natasha Lekich is the founder of New York Book Editors, which matches writers with experienced, vetted professional editors, many of whom have worked with award-winning and best-selling authors. Natasha previously worked in publishing and also co-founded an animated story platform for kids. Welcome back to the show, Natasha. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Joanna. 
Oh, I'm excited to talk to you again. We had such a good chat last time. So let's get straight into the whole topic of editing because it is one of the core things that writers have to deal with. And let's start with why is it worth working with a professional editor anyway? Why not just use people in a writing group or beta readers? Yeah. So let me explain how editors edit when they're at the very beginning of their careers because it's the same or similar to how beta readers and writing groups look at material. And it's actually also why we have the longest experience requirements for our editing team. It's something I feel very strongly about. So early on, as an editorial assistant or later as an assistant editor, an editor approaches the manuscript with their own predilections. So they have their own tastes about what constitutes a good narrative arc, what the voice should sound like, who the character should resemble, and getting to the point at which an editor can read a manuscript without these preconceptions takes a lot of time. It means, and I don't want to get too woo-woo, but (laughs) it sort of means you can release your ego and truly immerse yourself in the universe of the author. Understand, even though it's an early draft, which is what makes it even more challenging where he or she is going with it and help them using their ideas, their characters, their language. And when an editor reaches that stage as a professional, they're also able to put their thumb on what's missing, right? So you have to truly, truly understand the author's point of view in order to be able to say, you know, this is a weakness and here's what I suggest we do. So maybe I'll give you an example that might be easier. There, uh, There's this lawyer called Mary Atkins. She left her job and found a job that was more flexible, that would allow her, you know, basically give her time to write. So that shows you how committed she was to the idea of becoming a writer. And over time, she took writing courses, she joined groups, she had beta readers. So she she did it all. And she found when she was querying agents that although they requested her manuscript, so they were reading more of it, um, there weren't any takers. No one was giving her offers. It turned out that the things she had been focusing on, you know, were, were really polished. So the plot was clever and nuanced. Her prose had wit and humor and perfect timing. It turned out that what she was missing, her editor pointed out, was that the novel didn't have heart. So it sparkled with cleverness, but it wasn't giving readers a chance to feel for these characters. You know, the emotions weren't there. And Mary Atkins called that letter the turning point of her career as an author. She said that as soon as she read it, She felt like everything it said was exactly right, but for whatever reason, she hadn't been able to see it for herself. 
Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, this is why I've never um, worked with a writer's group because I want someone who's experienced as an editor in order to look at my work. And I think what you said about removing your ego and um, removing your preference, I think is almost really important because if you have, if you just ask someone in your writer's group, you know, what if you've written a romance and they love horror or yeah. the other way around, you're never mm-hmm. going to find people who have gone through that level so I totally agree with you I think it's I I absolutely work with professional editors on all my books but before we get into the detail of what the different types of edits are there are things that authors can do to get their books into the best shape possible before working with a professional editor because if you don't give it a good go (laughs) you're going to be tackling some basic stuff so how can authors do that? Yes, absolutely. So at a very basic level, if if you're a novelist or a memoirist, definitely make sure you have a full draft. But as you alluded to, once you have that draft, I would say follow Zadie Smith's advice. And she calls this her only 24 karat gold plated advice. So if it's if you don't have to publish, you know, immediately, either for financial reasons or other reasons, put the manuscript away in a drawer. And I know this is this is basically impossible. She she advises authors to leave it there for a year. Um, oh no, that that's too I know, much. I, I mean, much, at least yeah. a couple of weeks, maybe. <laughs> a couple of weeks, but yeah, in three months, if if they can, three months is is really a good period as well. Because the secret to self editing is in, to impose enough distance between yourself and the manuscript so that you can really become its reader. You can approach it from the perspective of something that approximates a stranger, right? And usually once you finish the manuscript, once you finish the first draft, there's such an eagerness to hand it over to an editor, right? You've been grappling with it for so long. You just want to pass it on to someone else. Okay, it's your turn. (laughs) But as you said, working with an editor is an investment and you don't want their feedback to include all the things you could have spotted yourself if only you'd given it more time. You want it to be full of the things that, you know, nuances that you wouldn't have seen no matter how much time you'd given it yourself. So the key is really to to approach your work from all these different perspectives as a writer, as an editor while you're, you know, writing and then later as as a reader when you return to it. So at New York Book Editors, it's really important that every author gets the most out of their experience. So we actually have a first screening. And if we think that the author can take the work further on their own, we'll suggest some books on writing and occasionally books in their genre, because what's most important to us is that we know we're doing what's best for the author. And if timing is the issue and the author needs more time in order to get the best edit possible, then we're very upfront about that. Mm, Yeah, I think that's really important. So let's get into the different types of editing because I I feel like this is one of the issues with new writers is they think there's just one type of editor and so that can cause problems later on. So let's start with, I guess, the top level, the developmental or structural editing, sometimes called manuscript critique. What does that do for people? What is that and how does it help? Right. So this is the edit where some really deep revision takes place. 
There are major character development problems, intractable structural knots, or sometimes maybe for nonfiction, some of the manuscript falls flat and feels like an information dump. So it's the time to do some deep work to make sure your house has all its supporting walls, that the roof covers the entire structure. I'll give you a quick example here too. So there was a manuscript that, w- that, that was very much like, let's say, Game of Thrones with a large cast of characters. And the editor told the author he needed to make sure the point of view we were hearing from was the character who had the most at stake in that scene, because that wasn't always the case. And that's the character's head the reader wants to be in at that time. So advice like that would lead to quite a bit of revision. And something else to note about big picture edits is that it's often where good editors and the editors on our team distinguish themselves. So if you're not getting these kind of macro level suggestions and the editor is largely making sort of small tweaks here and there, then it's probably due to a lack of experience because no matter how far along you are as an author, you need some of this kind of feedback. And actually, this is the type of edit I still pay for for my novels. Like, I really, I don't need a line edit anymore. And, you know, I've written a lot of books at this point, but I always get, like, I call it more a story edit for my fiction, because there are, as you say, there are things that might work in your own head, but don't necessarily work in the book that you just can't see. And very importantly, this is nothing to do with grammar and typos and sentence structure, really, is it? This this is that high-level edit. Yes, very important not to conflate those. (laughs) Yeah, and I think if people are expecting one thing rather than another, it can cause problems. So this can really help you with your story. For nonfiction in particular, what are some of the things that this type of edit will help with? So for nonfiction, sometimes it's how to bring in more anecdotes to bring the examples to life. If it's an instructional book, to add dialogue to really make that more concrete. So things like that, even developing the overall structure for the entire manuscript. Yeah, those are those are sort of common Mm, and also yeah so for example when I've restructured some of my nonfiction, it's because something's missing or the journey for the reader just doesn't travel through well enough through through the book and as you mentioned dialogue there for nonfiction, I think that surprises some people because they think yeah. oh well, if I write nonfiction, I don't have to do dialogue but as you say you can bring things alive by actually using a lot of the tricks of fiction in your yep. nonfiction to make it much more personal and have a voice. I don't know if you have a book on that, Joanna, but that sounds like a great topic. How to bring, <laughs> you know, how to bring in those fictional elements for for nonfiction authors. Oh, funny you should say that. I do have a book on how you to do? write nonfiction, which has a chapter on that. <laughs> okay, okay, great, great. I didn't even pay you to say that, which is <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, how long would we expect a document to be coming back from this kind of developmental, structural, manuscript critique? Like how many pages? Because people think, oh, you know, I'm going to get a massive tome from the editor. But the notes I've had from my story editor sometimes are only a couple of pages. But even a sentence in that can make a big difference to how I treat the book. Usually, usually our memos run seven pages or so. And 
There are often the author will also choose to have margin comments. So to have the editor point out, they're talking about the big picture changes. And then in the margins, they'll say, okay, here's where you would take that feedback into account. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And then when an author gets this kind of edit back, what should they be doing with that feedback? So they should be treating it like it's radioactive. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you said that because I was about to say, don't look at it. As soon as it arrives, don't look at it. Just ignore it. (laughs) Pretend it's late. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the radioactive, I have to give credit, Nathan Bransford uses that term, and I just think it's so good. So there are authors, like I mentioned Mary Atkins, who may read the the letter and it makes perfect sense and everything falls into place and she's ready to go. But there are a lot of authors for whom, you know, it feels really overwhelming. And, you know, if you've been writing your own story, it's as if you've been living in your own version of Alice in Wonderland And suddenly the editor comes on to the set and says, but don't you see the tea party is taking place upside down? And you've been to this tea party so many times, you think, what what are they talking about? It takes a minute to envision it on solid ground. And then if the advice is actually good, it should suddenly hit you. Oh, wow, I guess my characters have been sitting upside down. So the first thing to do is, is read it. And then leave it and and come back to it in a few days. And I don't know, you know, three seems to be a magic number all around. (laughs) And I hear that three days has been the key for many authors. In three days, you know, they've had enough time to absorb the material and they feel like they feel like they're on board with it. And at Mm. that point, the next thing to do is all of our edits include follow-up calls and yours should as well. So at that point, you should be taking notes on what you'd like to discuss during that call. So anything you want to clarify or things you want to brainstorm about, that's also a great use of that time. And then after the call, when you return to the edit, now hopefully with a lot more confidence, don't try to tackle everything at once. So you're eventually going to end up reading that letter and the margin comments many, many times. At this point, just pick out something that that really jumps out at you. It may be a few smaller changes. It may be one big change. And tackle that first. And then once you feel satisfied with that revision, reread the edit and, and pick the next thing. So it's really you know, picking your battles one by one as they speak to you rather than you know, feeling overwhelmed that you have all this to do. Yeah, I'm definitely the same. And I think you're, I, I remember getting one edit back a long, long time ago, and I was really angry. I was I was obviously angry at myself, really. But it feels like you're angry at the editor for criticising your wonderful, perfect book. And, and as you say, like putting it aside for a couple of days makes you realise that some of these things <laughs> are completely right. And so I think, it, as you say, it's really important to wait before you jump in. And then what I do, because uh, I have my manuscript in Scrivener, is, you know, and all my little flags have gone blue. That's when I've sent to sent it off. And then I go into each of the chapters and I will just, I will almost copy and paste the comments into my Scrivener and then highlight them and change the color of the flag. And then once I've got that, then I tackle each one of those at, at a time. As you say, it's kind of breaking it down. And, but as it, you definitely 
have to take some time over that sort of chewing on the process and thinking about it again but to me this is such a valuable side of things and something I still learn a lot from every time yeah it's so it's so incredible how similar the process is for for all authors right that and and how magical that time is waiting even when we said putting the manuscript in a drawer there's there's so much to be said for for pausing and yeah and letting absolutely. things sink in yeah. So, um, right. So we've made these bigger changes, whether we're writing fiction or nonfiction, we've gone through all of that and we're now happy with it on a bigger level. So then we we can move into the, and people call it different things. So maybe yes. we can start with that, which is line editing, copy editing, comprehensive edit. Uh, what is this next level, which really is at a much more detailed line level? So the next level, so the term that will be consistent throughout will be the line editing term. And the full edit that encompasses that can go by many different names. So the key is to say, you know, does this include a line edit? And if the editor says yes, that means it's on this next, it's at this next phase of editing. And I think we'll, we can address the copy edit afterwards, completely different ballgame. So we call it a comprehensive edit and it's, it's a comprehensive edit or line edit is basically a full markup of the prose. So it's reshaping your sentences for clarity, flow, pacing, while also keeping an eye on the bigger issues. So you don't leave the big issues behind completely, but at this stage, there should be less of them. So we're not revising half the manuscript. We're making these kind of smaller revisions. But also notice that I said reshaping of your sentences. So this shouldn't be a rewrite. Once again, as with the big picture changes, your editor, as ours do at New York Book Editors, should be largely invisible, meaning their changes should feel like a natural part of your prose. They're using the material that's there largely and cutting back or rearranging, maybe adding just a phrase for clarification, but all of it should feel very in line with the author's words. Okay, so and this might be a little bit controversial. <laughs> yeah. But, so this is where I use uh, Pro Writing Aid, which helps me with the line editing. Now, I've written uh, 32 books at this point. So I have had the comprehensive edits on earlier books in my journey. But now I find Pro Writing Aid can do a lot of that line editing. What do you think is the difference between a human editor on this level and a tool like Pro Writing Aid? You know, I, I haven't used Pro Writing Aid. I don't know. Is it, does it change your sentences does it clarify does it it does it does an incredible it does an incredible job at a very detailed level and picks up passive voice and grammatical things and has thesaurus things and has reports on repetitive words and all of this type of thing yeah so I think that that sort of sits in the gray zone so passive voice would be part of the line edit the grammar and other things would be part of a copy edit. So, I mean, I wish we could look at an example on the screen of, of a line edit to, to really show you what I mean. But I think that it's, I, I believe that it's not there yet. I think that 
the technology will probably get there where it can do like a full line edit. But I think that really looking at a passage, understanding its intent and seeing that it's not, it's not coming across clearly and making those adjustments, I don't think technology can do that yet. Yeah, well, I think that would be the difference, what you just said there, which is looking at a passage and saying this is the intent and it doesn't get there. Now, that definitely is not covered by <laughs> by software at the moment. That's definitely the human reader. Uh, and in another way, it's another pair of eyes on your work and trying to communicate the message that you're trying to get across. So if if someone does work with you or another editor, would they have a different editor for line editing than they would for developmental? No. So that's the same role, but they would have a different copy editor. That's a different role. So those, those first two, and there's not this, I mean, there's this clear division between the two types of edits, but it's not, and we say that yeah, usually you would start with a critique, but it really depends on where the manuscript is. And it's perfectly normal for an editor, for an author with your experience to just have the critique. So it's not a chronological thing that necessarily an author would always have both. Mm, not but it's everything. the same role. Mm. Yeah, you, you would be working with the same editor. Okay, and then, right, let's get into copy editing then. Yeah. So copy editing is much more technical and objective. And I think that at this stage, probably the, for a lot of this, the applications would, would do it really well. So copy editors make sure that the grammar and word usage is correct and consistent. They check for continuity and factual accuracy. Okay, maybe software can't do the factual accuracy part. But by continuity, I mean things like if a character's hair is brown early on that it remains brown. So once your draft is complete, meaning the narrative and prose has been worked through, um, the copy editor comes in to correct those technical issues. Right. And that is, I guess, that's really a red pen type edit that people might have seen, or would that be something between the line edit and the copy edit? No, that that's really the the red line copy editing. It it's also it's done using track changes. Is that what you mean? Or am I yeah, I think people yeah. have in their head. I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions around editing is that we people have seen pictures of manuscripts. If they haven't done one before, they've seen manuscripts. Or maybe at school, you get a teacher crossing things out and underlining yeah. things. And that kind of red pen edit is actually, that as we're talking about, is near the end of the process. But I feel like people think that is editing and they obsess around sentence and uh, grammar and stuff, whereas actually the more important stuff happens earlier. Obviously, you need this, but it yeah. feels like the other stuff is uh, is so important. Absolutely. So I, so I agree with all that and that in that authors think that this largely believe that this is the edit and 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 that they they but it's so also I think it's so comforting to realize that you can work with someone on your story and on your prose at a deeper level that you're not alone in that that it's not just that someone's going to step in later on with the technical um, issues but when it comes to all the the red line changes that also happens in a line edit. Actually, probably there are 
there are probably more red marks online edits than on copy edits. Mm. I think this also has sometimes to do with the different terminology that's used in different places. And I wonder if it is the same across different countries, because obviously I'm in the UK and I've lived in Australia and New Zealand, which is usually British type of English. And, you know, for me, the copy edit was always the same as as a line edit. So it's yeah. So it's quite interesting. So I I think for people listening, a a key would be whoever you're talking to about editing, you need to make sort of really get clear what you're expecting and what the editor is expecting, because there may be some misunderstandings, I guess, about the different words used. Yes. And I'm going to say something else that's controversial, (laughs) (laughs) which is that, you know, uh, so copy editing doesn't take as much time as line editing. And and it's not the experience level is not the same. It, It takes a lot longer to become a really accomplished line editor. And what happens sometimes in freelancing is they'll they'll say, Oh, I'll I'll do both. And what that means is you're probably not getting a great line edit. You know, because if they're also going around and looking at the grammar, um, then their focus is taken away from the way that the prose reads. Mm. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. So then I, I guess the other question is what is proofreading? <laughs> Proofreading. So proofreading is is largely another copy editing pass. Firstly, because when it comes to grammar and continuity, it's it's not easy to pick up on everything with one, in one pass. So if you're really angry at your copy editor because something was missed, just know that that's completely normal. I mean, it happens even in-house at, at a publishing house, although they do several passes with the copy edit. So Proofreading takes place after the manuscript has been typeset. So when your pages actually look like a book, when the interior layout is done, mistakes may have been introduced by doing that. And so the proofreader checks for that as well. Things like too many hyphenated words at at the ends of lines. And they're doing, as I said, another sort of copy editing pass. Mm. Yeah. And I, it's funny you say that because I do with my fiction, I don't find it. I, I do have a separate proofreader to my editor. And that I guess in a way it's a bit of co- copy editing. But for my nonfiction, I actually upload the book, get it printed before making it live as such. And I, I go through my nonfiction, particularly in print page by page, uh, because then that is, as you say, the hyphens with nonfiction as well, with the URLs and with the things yeah. that you might have in a nonfiction book that make it much more formatted than fiction. Right. I feel like you really need to check that in the print layouts that you might not worry about so much with an ebook. Right. So I think that's something else for people to consider. One one other thing that I was going to ask you, and I didn't prep you on this, but I've been uh, auditing, (laughs) I've been (laughs) editing things for audio a lot more. So for example, I might, when I'm doing my own pass through, I'll be like, yeah, that's not going to work in audio. So I need to change that. So it's more like an audio first edit because a lot of these audio projects now and audio books, you can't, you have to write differently than you did before because it doesn't sound right out loud. Whereas it might have been fine in someone's head. What are your thoughts on that? 
That is so common. So, God, I wish I, I, I don't want to. Uh, so there's this famous and prolific author who will not publish her book until she's, she, so she does her own audio work. God, I, I don't want to say the wrong, in case I'm not remembering um, who it is exactly. So part of her editing process is recording the audio. So it takes her forever. She goes to the studio and they know, I know the owner of the studio. So he tells me about this, that this is going to be a very long <laughs> recording and, and, and will take, I don't know whether it's several weeks, but, but she'll come in and as she's speaking, she'll realize that, you know, that doesn't sound right. And she'll go to the page and, and make the changes. I think, but that's also a very... Um, common piece of advice when it comes to editing it's read your own work out loud and see what how it sounds and whether you you make changes um, to it I think it's I think it's great advice when it comes to self-editing Mm, absolutely and I, I do that too well for my non-fiction I record my own audiobooks and I will change the file I won't do my print formatting until I've finished the audio so same same idea whereas I outsource my fiction <laughs> but yeah. what we've talked about here is obviously lots of different stages to editing and in between these edits the author is also making changes to the manuscript and improving it so as you mentioned the word investment earlier, and I've certainly invested a lot in editing over the years. And in my first novel, I spent the most money because I had the most to learn. And I used different types of editors, multiple editors over several years, and even a, a later rewrite post-publication. And I feel like we have so much to learn. And for me, the best way is paying for a professional to help me learn on my manuscript, as opposed to just you know going to a class and, and getting something sort of less specific so let's just be clear that it is an investment but do people need all of this type of stuff and are there brackets of how much these things cost um no they don't need all of this stuff so we do a manuscript evaluation which is complimentary because as I said it's just for us it's really important to know that if we're signing up with the author, we're doing what's beneficial for them. So we will do a review of the manuscript and recommend the type of edit that would benefit them most. And as I, as, as I mentioned in your case, you can do a critique and you're good to go because you've had all this experience. Sometimes that's true even for a first-time author. Sometimes that's all they need. Some... and other authors can jump to the line at it. So it's really about assessing where the draft stands and what its needs are. And I think that relying on your editor for that kind of advice and insight is, is really important. I would also, I always say that if budget is an issue, I would go with the, the developmental edit or the comprehensive edit over the copy edit. So a copy edit, as we touched on, I think you can get, because it's more objective and more technical, you know, you can use all these sort of automated resources. You can also, um, you know, go over it yourself, maybe pick up the Chicago Manual of Style, although um, it's very intimidating. But I just feel like the the story development and the line editing is much more 
difficult to do on your own or to to lean on others who are not professionals. So yeah, if if budget is a concern, that's what that's that would be my recommendation. But in in terms of costs, it will be different depending on the type of edit and it will be different on the length of the manuscript as well, right? And also, I guess, the the level of the author because it will depend on how much work it's going to need. So I think this is really important too, is that people email me all the time and they say, how much is an edit? And I'm like, this is not one question. This is so many questions, right? Yeah, yeah. We have an online calculator for the different types and there's a range in each one and you put in your word count. So it would, it would give perhaps authors an idea of what to expect in terms of estimates, but yeah, all of those things really going to, you know, going to count. Yeah. And then a big question is how can an author find the best editor for their book and also where they are on the author journey? Like there's a lot of editors out there and obviously you have a lot of editors in your company and there's a lot of editors out there in the world in general. So how, how do people find the best one? This is such a challenge and it's why my company exists. It's why New York Book Editors exists. And from our experience, I can say the key is to find that deep level of experience and the right personality. So experience is probably the easier part. Editing is really an apprenticeship career path. I would say, please don't consider working with anyone who hasn't had a long publishing tenure. I've really seen a countless number of edits. I don't even know how many edits I've seen, you know, over the last 12 years from editors of all backgrounds. Uh, We've also early on writing professors, best-selling authors. And I can tell you that nothing can replace that editing time for a major publisher. And you need at least four years of that time. I know this is the longest requirement around and other bars aren't set quite as high, but I'm so, I really believe in um, that timing because the editor needs at least that much time to have worked on their own books for a while. So many books earlier on are co-edited or they're assisting the main editor. And this is not the same. If you're trusting the editor as your sole editor with your manuscript, you want the publisher to have done the same thing, right? To have trusted them for an appreciable amount of time. So experience is really critical. And I can, I can really go on about the differences between you know, the output when it comes to a junior editor and a more senior editor. And in Mm -hmm. editing, it comes down to integrity also. So is the editor honest about their interest in your manuscript? That's so important. To get a great edit, the editor has to be genuinely interested in the topic, in the voice, in the characters. And also, are they going to devote the time and attention the manuscript really needs? on your on your site you have the level of award-winning and best-selling types of books that your editors have edited so I think that's really interesting I mean I've I settled on my current editor of what six seven years ago I think and it, it did take a couple of tries for me to find someone but when I started uh in sort of 2008 2011 that to 2011 that there wasn't the ecosystem for 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 independence 
as there is now. And now, like as, as you've got on your team, editors who work or have worked with big name traditionally published authors. And with the mergers of the traditional publishing houses over the last few years, a lot of these editors have come out of traditional publishing and are now freelancing as such which means we get the benefit of I know, of this right? We were very lucky. We were all very lucky. You know what what also happened though, even editors who didn't get laid off because of the mergers and the layoffs, the editors who remained their plates are so full, Joanna, mm. that they can't devote the time that they used to to each manuscript. And that's that's why they chose that profession, right? Because that's what they love doing and they they suddenly found themselves relegating that part of the job to the margins. And so we have a lot of editors who started off saying, I just think freelancing would be a better option for me because I want to be <laughs> to spend my time actually editing. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's how they make the leap, some editors. Fantastic. Well, so tell people what they can find at New York Book Editors and where to find you. Yeah. So it's newyorkbookeditors.com or nybookeditors.com. And it's the same really on all social media at nybookeditors.com, Facebook slash nybookeditors, YouTube slash nybookeditors. I think we have some some really good informational videos there and interviews. So yeah, basically everywhere it's going to be nybookeditors. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Natasha. That's great. Thank you so much for having me, Joanna. Always a pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed the interview with Natasha today and that it gave you some tips for your own editing process. And if you want to check out New York Book Editors with my link, just go to www.thecreativepen.com forward slash N-Y-B-E. And if you use their services, I will receive a small commission at no extra cost to you. Or of course, you can just go to nybookeditors.com directly. So next week, I'm talking to Guy Windsor, the sword guy, about how to teach physical skills with books and how to take a business that is based on physical appearance and in-person teaching and events uh, to a virtual business. And Guy, luckily, (laughs) started switching over before the pandemic and was well-placed to have a good year financially, whereas he would have really struggled without his multiple streams of income that he built online. And it's a fascinating interview. If you think I have multiple streams of income, then wait till you hear what Guy's doing. (laughs) He definitely gave me some ideas. So I know you will find it useful. So happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.